The boss said to one of his employees, John, do you believe in life after death? John said, yes, of course. The boss said, well, I'm really happy to hear that because about an hour after you left work early yesterday to go to your grandmother's funeral, she stopped in to see you. <laughs> Thought you needed a little joke at this hour of the day. In the Nicene Creed, which we profess every holy day and also every Sunday, we proclaim our faith in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. As Catholics, as Christians, we believe that there's a life beyond this one, which our souls and eventually our bodies will experience when our time on this earth is finished. In that respect, we are all like John. Hopefully, of course, we are not like him in his deviousness and dishonesty. This belief in eternal life is something which is at the very foundation of our Catholic faith. In fact, without it, living the gospel really doesn't make much sense. And it certainly has no ultimate purpose. St. Paul said it well in 1 Corinthians 15 when he wrote, If the dead are not raised, then Christ was not raised. And if Christ was not raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins, and those who have fallen asleep in Christ are the deadest of the dead. If our hopes in Christ are limited to this life only, we are the most pitiable of men. I didn't say that. St. Paul did. At the beginning of every November, the Church rivets our attention on the reality of the resurrection and its importance by giving us two special feasts. The one we celebrate today, All Saints Day, and the one we will celebrate tomorrow, All Souls Day. Today, we as a church focus on those who have already arrived, on those who are already a part of that huge crowd that St. John sees in his vision in Revelation 7. These are the men and women who didn't just hear the Beatitudes proclaimed in a church once or twice a year. These are the men and women of the past who actually made the effort to live them out. In the words of our first reading, they survived the time of great distress, which is any time, incidentally, that you happen to be living. There's always distress we have to deal with. But these are those who survived that time and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Tomorrow, on the other hand, we will focus on those who are still on the way, so to speak those who died in the state of grace and who now need some final purification before they can enter the Lord's presence and see him face to face. Another way to explain it is as follows. Today, we turn our attention to those who are already there in the kingdom. And we say to them, you pray for us. Tomorrow, we turn our attention to those who aren't quite there yet, and we say to them, we will pray for you. And so will the saints in heaven.
All of this reminds us of something we can easily forget. In addition to helping us remember that this life isn't the only one, these two feasts remind us of the fact that God's children, all of God's children, are mysteriously and spiritually connected to one another. And that includes those children of the Lord who are no longer living among us on this earth. We call this belief, this doctrine, the communion of saints. It's explicitly mentioned in the other creed we say, the Apostles' Creed. The Catechism puts it this way, quoting the late Paul VI. We believe in the communion of all the faithful of Christ, those who are pilgrims here on earth, in other words, us, the dead who are being purified, those in purgatory, and the blessed in heaven, all together forming one church. And we believe that in this communion, the merciful love of God and his saints is always attentive to our prayers. This is a doctrine, incidentally, which has some very practical implications. We need to recall it whenever someone close to us dies, but especially when the relationship we had with the deceased person was not a very good one. We know that death is a time of mourning, that's obvious. But for a lot of people, Death is also a time of guilt and regret. Guilt because they offended their deceased relative or friend in some way and never made proper amends. Regret because they didn't do more to assist their deceased relative or friend in a time of need, when they were alive. I've heard a lot of confessions in 21 years. I can't tell you how often I have heard people come in and say this, especially after a sudden and unexpected death. Father, I am so angry and I am so upset at myself. I never got to tell my father, my mother, my friend, my aunt that I was sorry. And now it's too late. I can never make it right. Father, I should have done more to help my friend in his time of need, but I didn't. I was selfish, I admit it. Now he's dead. And there's nothing I can do to make amends. That is not true. You see, the doctrine of the communion of saints tells us that the death of the body is not the death of the relationship. Please hear that and pass this message on because there are a lot of people who don't realize this. The death of the body does not mean the death of the relationship, provided the deceased died in the state of grace. So yes, we may have failed our relative or friend in some way when they were alive on this earth. And that's definitely something we need to seek God's forgiveness for if necessary, in the sacrament of confession. But if our relative or friend has gone either to heaven or purgatory, our bond with them has not been severed. 
it still exists. And so depending on where they are, they can either help us or we can help them. If they're in heaven, for example, they can and they will help us by their prayers, especially their prayers for our repentance and conversion. And in the process, they will harbor no grudges or animosity against us for our sins against them. Because think about it, none of that bad stuff can exist in God's kingdom. And if they're in purgatory, which we have to presume they are, unless they've been canonized by the church, we can help them by the prayers we offer up and the masses we have said and the personal sacrifices we make for the repose of their soul. The communion of saints teaches us that those prayers and masses and sacrifices will help them pass through purgatory more quickly. And it will make their prayers for us more effective. Now I have to tell you, that last fact, I just learned myself the other day when I read the catechism on this point. In paragraph 958 it says, Our prayer for the dead is capable not only of helping them, but also of making their intercession for us effective. So in conclusion this morning, I ask you, did you leave something unsaid to a relative or a friend who died in the recent or even in the far distant past? Did you fail them in some way? Well, don't despair if you did. Rather, do something for them now. Have a Mass said for the repose of their soul. Say a rosary or some other prayer for them every day, or at least every once in a while. You might even fast on occasion from something, or make some other personal sacrifice so that their soul will get into heaven more quickly. Your relative or friend will certainly know what you're doing for them. They will know the effects of it. And they will be greatly pleased. They will also be blessed and extremely grateful. And when you join them in heaven someday, God willing, they will probably give you a really big hug and say thank you. <laughs>